So happy morning. My name is Joel. I welcome any of you joining us online. It's my privilege to open up God's Word. Our scripture text this morning is Luke 24, verses 13 to 27. I invite you to turn there in your Bibles and your devices. We also print it wonderfully for you in the bulletin. Now, Before I read, I want to invite you to put on your imagination caps. Did you bring them? Now, I know some of us may have to snooze that inner critic that tends to rise up in the living room of our lives when we even think about such things. We need to make space right now for our inner child that can actually imagine amazing and wonderful things. Are we there? Have we dismissed the inner critics from the service? Are we there? Okay. Amen. Imagine that on Sunday at 11 o'clock on April 16th, 2023. You're looking at your watch, Tammy. Yes. Today, 11.16. At 11.16, the risen Lord Jesus Christ decided to make an appearance here at Heart City Church. What would you do if the risen Lord Jesus showed up here? That would be most exciting, right? Can I get an amen? Amen. Now, amen. Now, some of us would actually pull out our phones, right? <laughs> and we start posting on social media, Heart City Church is the place to be. Check out my church. And you'd be recording every minute of the scene. So let's imagine what that footage would be. What would you imagine a Jesus scene to be like this morning? Would our loving Lord immediately begin to pass up and down the aisles, laying his hands on all those who are hurting? Would the great prophet uh, wave Pastor Joel out of the pulpit and then show his scarred hands and say, Do you see how much I love you? Would he rebuke those who foolishly did not believe in him? What would the risen Lord Jesus Christ say and do if he were to make an appearance here today? All right, put away your imagination caps, friends. We need to imagine no longer. The risen Lord Jesus Christ would do exactly what we find in Luke 24. Are you ready? Now hear the word of our God from Luke 24. And behold, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us, 
They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of us who were with them, some of those who were with us, went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let's pray. O breath of God, come fill this place. Revive our hearts to know your grace. And from our slumber, make us rise that we may know the risen Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Mark Fogel and I, we were actually talking last week as we looked up this text. He brought up a scene from a Shakespeare play. There's a great battle that is about to take place. And so King Henry dresses up like a common soldier so that he can mingle with the troops so he can listen in on their conversations to find out what they really think about serving their king in such a difficult hour. I couldn't help but wonder if Shakespeare borrowed his idea from the Emmaus Road scene where the risen king appears to a pair of sad disciples to walk with them, to listen to what they're talking about, to listen in to see what they're thinking about they're having followed the risen, the Lord Jesus Christ. And all the while, we readers were just anticipating the light bulb moment where they're going to see it's actually him who's there. Now, before I read this text, I imagined us to, invited us to imagine what it would be like if the risen Lord Jesus would show up here. This Emmaus road scene provides the answer, though we actually only read the first half. We saw the risen Lord Jesus. He opened up the scriptures to reveal himself in all the Bible. Next week, we'll hear how his teaching on the Maus Road caused their hearts to burn as they walked. And we'll see next week when Jesus breaks the bread, their eyes will be opened to see he was there all along. Luke is showing us that Jesus shows up whenever there's two or more gathered together to talk about him. And Jesus he also reveals himself really but spiritually in all of the scriptures and also in the Lord's Supper. My question for you this morning is, do you believe this? Do you believe this, that our risen Lord Jesus is actually walking up and down these aisles right now? That he's actually nearer to you than your closest neighbor? Some of us do. I know that. Some of us realize it's his whisper in our ear when our hearts suddenly are warmed by a word that strikes us new that we've heard before. Some of us will catch a glimpse of his gracious face the moment we have the breaking of the bread. Sadly, I fear some of us here will not recognize that Jesus was here at all. I've looked out on many congregations 
And I see an eager soul next to a face that's glazed over, thinking about lunch or already out on the golf course, just waiting for the sermon to end. Why? Because Jesus is a stranger. Jesus is a historical fact, not a human face. Maybe he is a stranger to you, and that's not what you want. Perhaps you're watching online. You're a not-yet-Christian, and you're feeling far from him right now. That is sad. But I have good news for you this morning, that Jesus promises to draw near to anyone who draws near to him. How do I draw near, Joel? Well, first, don't be a stranger to church. Some of you are watching us online. We don't bite here. At least I don't think anybody does. We're all here for the same reason. We want to know Jesus. Second, get in his word daily and pray that Jesus will show himself to you. Third, accept his invitation to come to the feast and taste the bread of life that he freely offers. And lastly, fourthly, do it all expectantly, believing that you actually become acquainted with Jesus when you come to the means of grace that he's given to you. I assure you that for every one inch you move towards Jesus, he's moving two inches towards you. And actually one day, at the end of the journey, you're going to find that he was always there. Always at your side, every step of the way. Though for a while you never even knew it. Like these two on the Emmaus road. I love how Leland Riken calls this journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus a journey from unbelief to faith. I'm going to offer us three headings as road markers along the way. The first being a divine appointment. A divine appointment. Let's look at verses 13 to 15 again. And behold, that very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Now, I'm actually disappointed in our ESV here. They left out, and behold, because it's in the Greek text. And I know that's not language we use very typically when we're trying to get someone's attention. Sometimes the children will draw wonderful pictures for me in their bulletins. I actually love it. I take them home and put them in my office. And all. Never once has one of these kids came up to me and says, Behold, Pastor Joel, I Davy the donkey who drove, took Jesus into Jerusalem. They don't use that word, but that's the sense here. Luke is saying, look at, look at how Jesus shows up. You have these two disciples. They're walking along on the first Easter Sunday afternoon. They're on a road to a village, a place called Emmaus. It's about a seven-mile walk. It takes about two hours. Now, most assume, it seems in my commentaries, that these are both men. I'm not so sure. Actually, Luke has made a whole lot about women. Last text, right? They're the ones at the tomb. We know one of the two was Cleopas, likely the man at the cross. You find in John 19, and Cleopas was married to one of the Marys that followed Jesus. I think this scene may well be a married couple, leaving Jerusalem, talking about Jesus. I thought about this a lot as the warm weather came last week, and it prompted Jamie and myself to begin our neighborhood walks. And I said to her yesterday morning, We need to make the first five minutes of our walks all about Jesus, talking about Jesus, talking to Jesus, which was actually a little weird for me. I said, let's make our walks divine appointments, inviting Jesus to draw near. 
Listen to J.C. Ryle here. Talking about spiritual matters is a most important means of grace. As iron sharpens iron, so does exchange of thoughts sharpen a believer's soul. It brings down a special blessing on all who make a practice of it. What do we know ourselves about spiritual conversations with other Christians? If we have no time for spiritual conversation, let us think again. Let us learn a lesson from the two travelers to Emmaus. Let us speak of Jesus when we're sitting in our houses and whenever we can find a disciple to talk to. If we believe we're traveling to a heaven where Christ will be the central object of every mind, let us begin to learn the manners of heaven while we're still on earth. If we do this, we will often have one with us whom our eyes will not see, but who will make our hearts burn within us by blessing the conversation. I think he's right. Have you ever experienced this? A sudden warmth during a Christ-centered conversation? Maybe it happened when you're on a plane and you happen to notice the person seated next to you you never met before happens to have a Bible, and you strike up a conversation, and in no time at all you're busy sharing your testimonies with each other, and your heart's warm as you carry on a conversation with them like you've known them your whole life. What just happened? Simple. Jesus got on the flight and took the flight with you to Charlotte. That's what happened. And friends, Jesus is here in a special way every Sunday, and all the more as we actually invite him in. Do we want to see revival in our day? <clears throat> I do. That's why I actually recently encouraged us to consider our post-worship conversations. Our post-worship conversations. Aren't many of us prone to immediately talk about all sorts of other things immediately afterwards, like gardening or baseball? Now, there's absolutely nothing wrong with these subjects. Actually, I take that back. It is not a good thing to talk about the White Sox with Pastor Joel right now. <laughs> They're bringing me no joy this year at all. But in fact, that is all the more reason for Joel to talk about Jesus after the service. Actually, I too have to listen to my own sermons. And occasionally while I'm up here preaching, I will say, wow, that was good. That's a new facet of Jesus' beauty I never discovered before, not even when I was writing this sermon. What? Jesus' care, his care for me extends that far? Man, I can't wait till after the service. I'm going to talk to Jesse about this. Talk about Jesse, about Jesus, and what I know about him more. Friends, we can talk about our jobs, our cars, our sports all week long. But if we have scheduled a divine appointment today, by the way, that's the reason we come to church, to worship our triune God. If we have just had a supernatural experience, why do we so often just turn it off after the benediction and return to earth like nothing happened here? Maybe because that's what we believe sometimes. We don't think Jesus is here or we don't think he's accomplished anything meaningful in our lives. Anything meaningful for us that impacts our lives. It's no wonder we don't recognize that he was actually here in our midst, walking up and down the aisles. Like these two here on the Mass Road, they don't notice he was there in their midst. Their eyes are kept from recognizing the one who they love so much. 
after his death on the cross, they don't think he's accomplished anything meaningful for them in their lives. You see, they don't see him because they're spiritually blind. It's like a parable. Maybe that's where we are right now. We don't see Jesus' impact on our world or in our lives. But wonderfully, friends, Jesus loves and pursues his people. Let's read on. Verse 17. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. My second heading is the disciples' disappointment. I was wondering just how long our Savior strolled silently alongside surveying this sorrow before prodding them, asking for more detail, which then we see only deepens their disappointment. Luke details such distress. He notes that just one question from Jesus stops them dead in their tracks. Their motors just stall out for sadness. Actually, I get why they don't see Jesus right now. I've counseled many souls that I've been talking with them. And then I ask a question that I don't realize and it triggers them. And suddenly there's a leak in a dam that's holding back an ocean of hurt and pain and sorrow. And suddenly that sad face speaking to me is looking right through me. They're somewhere else altogether in a place of great pain. And all there is for me to do is to simply be present and pray. Why do I do that? Why should you do that? Because Jesus does that. Because Jesus is a wonderful counselor. Isaiah 9. Do any of you find it strange that Jesus doesn't give them a quick fix here? He sees their sadness. He sees their deep disappointment. Why doesn't Jesus say, Cheer up! It's me! I'm here! I'm alive! Back from the dead. Why doesn't Jesus show them proof? His hands and his feet, right? Some of you would like that, I think. Tangible proof that Jesus is near you right now, ready to make all things better. Give us tangible proof, Jesus, that our hope in you is not misplaced as I live in this mess. But Jesus doesn't give us the quick fix that our impulsive culture trains us to crave. Our culture says, are you uncomfortable? You feel bad? Here's some positive thinking. Here's a pick-me-up. Let us put a Band-Aid on that. It'll be all better. But friend, Jesus doesn't give us the quick fix. He isn't about that because that's not the better blessing. Remember Jesus once said to a doubting disciple, demanding proof, demanding to see his pierced hands? Thomas, blessed are those who have not seen 
and yet believe. Isn't that incredible, actually? You and I, we can have a greater blessing than the Apostle Thomas by believing in Jesus. But that won't come without some serious heart work, friends. Convincing us to actually depart from Doubting Castle. So Jesus takes deep personal interest in us. We have to see. He invites us to enter into our own echo chambers so that we might see actually the source of our sadness is the failing of our faith. The source of your sadness, friend, is the failing of your faith. (laughs) I don't know whether to laugh or cry when Jesus is asked by Cleopas if he's like the most oblivious of all the (laughs) out-of-towners. Jesus, are you the only person in all of Jerusalem who doesn't know what just took place on Friday? It's like asking Neil Armstrong if he's the only American who missed the moon landing. I mean, this is ridiculous. I love Jesus' response, though. Jesus says, what things? Jesus doesn't give a quick fix, nor does he give his disappointed disciples a lecture on all the things that took place and everything they missed. Jesus again asks a question. Why, Joel? Because this is who Jesus is. This is who our God is, who actually offers dignity to the doubting, pensive, fearful heart. Do you remember God's first words to the first sinners? They were a question. To Adam and Eve, hiding in the leaves, God calls out, Where are you? Where are you? Not because God was having problems with his GPS locator. (laughs) No, but to let them explore and to discover for themselves where they were now. You see, as Cleopas shares what he thinks he knows to be true about Jesus, Cleopas is actually sharing what is true about Cleopas, where he is. In Cleopas' answer, he's not giving the gospel according to Jesus. He's giving the gospel according to Cleopas and thus discovering why he's so sad. Incidentally, that's why many members here we're currently doing surveys of our friends, our families, our neighbors. We're not offering any answers. We zip the lip and say, will you please tell us what's going on? What are you thinking? How do you understand the world and its problems? Jesus shows us that the last thing many of our sad neighbors needs is for Talkative to show up alongside the journey. Remember Talkative, the guy in Pilgrim's Progress? He starts walking the path with Christian. And this fellow won't shut up about all the things of God. And soon he and Faithful are trying to figure out how you would ditch this guy. We can often do more to love others by asking them about themselves than by telling them all the things we think they need to know. Thus, offering them dignity is likewise thinking people. And we have to train ourselves. Yesterday I got here to meet Mike and girl in her 20s showed up and she's got all these scabs and sores on her face. She came up and she asked if we were a food pantry or if we had, you know, any meals and everything. And so I told her about our service. Did she come to that at 11? She's not here now. And she could join us for the fellowship meal and everything. She said, thank you and walked off. Then Phil Collins hit me. Oh, think twice. It's just another day for you and me in paradise. You know why I was convicted? It wasn't that I I told her to come. I offered that. I never asked her a question. And no, I didn't need to go into her life story, but I could have said, hey, what's your name? That's part of her story. 
We need to train ourselves, especially as Presbyterians, to zip it sometimes and to simply ask easy questions. We can often do more to love others by asking them about themselves. Notice, actually, Cleopas says a whole lot of things that are true here. Jesus is a mighty prophet before God. Jesus was betrayed, condemned, and crucified. Cleopas then shares they'd hoped that he was going to redeem them. And he has, and it's now the third day. And you can imagine Jesus sitting here. He's like, yes, go on, go on. Cleopas says the women discovered the body's gone. The angel sightings, declarations that he's risen from the dead. And Jesus is like, yes, keep going. Cleopas doesn't get there, does he? His gospel, which is no gospel, ends with these words. The gospel of Cleopas concludes, but him they did not see. As he looks right at his risen Lord Jesus. Incredible. You actually see that Cleopas has loads of physical evidence, witness testimony, not to mention he saw God blot out the sun for three hours. The temple curtain ripped in half. I mean, this is 60 foot tall, four inches thick. Cleopas has all kinds of physical evidence, and yet he still wants a little bit more of that. Is that going to help him? No, because saving faith is not the evidence of things seen, but the word believed. Our last heading is a detailed enlightenment. Verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Jesus finally reveals himself. Notice how he enlightens them. Hey guys, let's do a Bible study. He interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Cleopas invites Jesus to see all the things concerning Jesus through his understanding of events. And Jesus now invites Cleopas to all the things concerning Jesus through the word of God. Because his sad and foolish friends were slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had told them right here. I don't think this is far removed from us here in 2023 as you guys sit under preaching. Would Jesus look at any of us here and say, Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken? Have you found yourself sad without hope in what Jesus has done to redeem you? Why are you sad? Yes, you may have hard circumstances, and I don't diminish that. I don't belittle them one bit. But if you lack joy, any joy, it's because you haven't taken in what God's word says about Jesus and what he did. Do you know the gospel so well that it actually, you come and sit and appreciate it doesn't really have any impact on the rest of your week, the rest of your life? That actually means you know the facts of the gospel, but you don't know the face of the gospel, the face of Jesus. You hear the word every Sunday, and listening, you're not hearing and looking, you're not seeing. That's why the preacher must say, must say often, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And Jesus says to you right now, friends, 
not with anger, not with malice, but with love and disappointment because he wants you to come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I have rest for you. He looks you right in the eyes and he says, oh foolish ones, slow of heart. You know what Jesus is quoting, by the way? Psalm 14. We read that earlier. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Denies God's presence. This is not an intellectual problem. It's a moral problem, a heart problem. We don't experience God's presence because we really don't want that reality. Because what would happen if God was near and you knew it all the time? We wouldn't be able to do what we want to do. Watch that TV show tonight that we've been watching that we probably shouldn't. We wouldn't be able to listen to those songs that we like. Tell those jokes that we know are inappropriate. Look at those things we shouldn't, those secret sins. If God was right there. We want to be at the center of our own story. Like these two disciples. Cleopas said we had hoped that he was the one who would redeem Israel. You see, they imagined a royal redeemer who would make Israel great again. A military messiah who would crush all their enemies, the Romans, and give them their best life now. This is the saddest thing about Israel. They were the one nation on earth given God's word. Thousands of years they went to the synagogues and listened to God's word. But they read it the whole time through a me-centered lens, seeing it was first about Israel's glory. And we're prone to look at our Bibles the same way, to see how it first concerns me. What's it got for me? It's about me. Because we want to believe in ourselves more than we want to believe in Jesus. But friends, the Bible is about Jesus first, not us. Jesus is the star of the story. Jesus is the hero. Well, who are we in the Bible, Joel? Oh, we're the villains. We're the villains. We're the rebels who turned away from our Holy Creator And the prophets, that's what they're saying. They're teaching us our need of a Savior. Jesus says, was it not necessary for Christ to suffer on the cross and then enter glory? Why did he have to suffer on the cross? So that sinners like you and I could be made saints. As we come to believe in Jesus' sacrifice, trust in him, and turn from our sins. So that we could be rehumanized after the dehumanization that sin did to us and so that we could have the lasting joy. And this is the greatest joy of all, having God's presence, the presence of Jesus Christ forever. Israel had thousands of years to take in these promises, and yet they did not recognize the time of God's coming. Exactly one week ago from this scene, Jesus is weeping, weeping over Israel. As he looks at Jerusalem and knows, they don't know the time of their visitation. He's weeping. This isn't boo-hoo. He's a human, has a heart like us. Actually, he's more human than us. Because Jesus had no sin. Now he looks at these two disciples who have all the data and no joy. And he gives them a detailed enlightenment and says, by the way, the whole Bible's about me. This is where Luke started with his first sermon in Luke 4. He got up and read the scroll of Isaiah and he says, Ah, this has been fulfilled now that I'm here. And now he interprets them the whole Old Testament from Genesis all the way to Second Chronicles. 
how it all pointed to his coming, his cross, and his comeback. His coming, his cross, and his comeback. And the word, Greek word for interpret is actually used by Paul later on for someone who translates tongues. The point is that the Bible is actually a foreign language until you see it's all about Jesus. And only Jesus can open up our eyes and our ears to discover that. I know many of pastors said they would have loved to hear this greatest Bible study or greatest sermon ever on the road to Emmaus. No doubt the rest of the journey went by in a flash. What was he preaching on, Joel? I, I don't know, but I suspect Jesus would have started showing how Christ was present in the very first gospel promise, Genesis 3.15. Look that up later. Sinclair Ferguson actually says the whole rest of the Bible is just a footnote to Genesis 3.15. The offspring of the woman would crush the head of the serpent, and the serpent would bruise his heel. He's saying that cross, Cleopas, dear one, which seems so final, that was merely a little bruise on my foot for three days. That's all it was. Friends, the whole Old Testament points forward to this Savior Jesus. Noah's Ark, Joseph in the Egyptian jail, the Passover lamb, David and Goliath. What Jesus is showing us is that the way we get the whole Christ, and I hope that's why you come here today, the way you get the whole Christ is by getting the whole Bible, by getting the whole Bible, Old Testament too. And I'm excited that, yes, we're actually going to finish Luke, and we're going to have a divine appointment, the book of Esther, the book of Esther. I want to close by encouraging you that as you seek the Lord and his word, not just here, but on his own, don't rely on preaching alone for your encounter with Jesus Christ. You shouldn't rely on any pastor that much. You're responsible for your own relationship with Jesus. I'm only here to help. And as you see the face of Jesus by your own daily devotions in it, in the inspired word, you'll come to hunger for him more and more you'll find that the Word of God becomes a spring of life. It might just start as a trickle, but soon it will be living water for your soul each and every day. So this week, let's plan on making our own divine appointments. Let's not live as disappointed disciples. Let's start looking for detailed enlightenments, enlightenment in all the details of the story. Let's let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. And if you are a stranger, both to the Word and to Jesus, be encouraged today. Be encouraged. Jesus isn't done with Cleopas and the missus, if that's who's with him. And he's not done with you either. Jesus has actually been seeking you so that you would learn to seek him. And I'd love to talk with you more afterwards about his love and all his wonderful promises. And with that, let's end with a promise, our verse of the month. Here's one that we're working on. We're meditating and memorizing. Romans 10.9 at the bottom of our sermon page. Let's recite it together and let's recite it this week. And let's pray that none of us remain strangers to Jesus. Let us say together, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for sending your Son. And not just in the fullness of time, but that you continue to send your Son by the power of your Spirit. And in fact, the risen Christ is here. And I ask and pray that we will actually appropriate that. And I pray that when this service ends, we won't be so quick to leave heaven, but rather that we'll continue to 
to meditate on Christ and to encourage each other and sharpen each other. And I pray that if any are a stranger right now, they'll join me at this moment and just say, Lord Jesus, thank you for coming. Father, thank you for sending your son. I believe that you have come and died for my sins and that you were able to pay the price of every sin of every sinner. That you're, you're a sinner that or a servant, a savior that is greater than my greatest sin. And I put my trust in you and I want to turn from my sin. So I pray that you'll give me your spirit. Help me to put my trust in you and give me the assurance of salvation that is found only in the mighty Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.